Welcome back to the Wrong Advice Podcast. I'm your host, John Picciuto, and I'm very excited to have Chelsea Reif on the line with us today. Chelsea, how you doing? Hey, how's it going? I'm so excited to be here. Oh, so excited to have you. Chelsea, why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah, so I am reporting now from Germany. So I do have an American accent. I'm from Florida. So I know it sounds like you're talking to an international person, but you're not. I am in Germany. And I am a mindset and podcast coach. So I helped a lot of uh, business owners and entrepreneurs when they were first starting out their businesses with their mindset, because a lot of people can probably relate if they've started a business. It's not all just strategy. There's a lot of mindset and energy work that goes into it. So I coached people a lot on that through the last year. And now I'm pivoting into podcast coaching. And I'm sure, John, you can relate. Podcasting is incredible. And I want so many people to have a podcast. So I'm really helping people try to find their footing and get the podcast up and running and book nice guests and all the 411 that comes with podcasting. So now that's my focus, but I still do some mindset coaching on the side. That's awesome. Um, so that unearths a, a plethora of questions. Number one, how did you end up in Germany? Oh, yeah. So I ended up there because I quit my corporate American job and then I went on an eat, pray, love journey to oh. Australia. <clears throat> yeah, I bopped all over Australia. I ended up getting kind of stuck there during the pandemic and then during the lockdown is when I started my business. So I had nothing to do. I was like sitting inside all day long. And I always had said, like, if I just had nothing to do, if I had no bills, if I had, you know, no work to do, I could start my business. And then that's what happened. <laughs> so I ended up starting my business in the middle of lockdown. And then I ended up at the very end of the time that my visa was up meeting my partner who's German and I was going to stay in Australia longer. And he's like, well, I have to go back to Germany to study. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm on this eat, pray, love journey. Let's see what happens. So oh I God. moved to Germany. Yeah. Now I've been here for years. That is so, incredible. Uh, my German is, yeah, my German's not good though. I, I should know way more German than I do. <laughs> it's okay. I'm a hundred percent Italian. I have family members who speak fluent Italian and I'm barely passable in, in communicative Italian. So it's, it's understandable. Um, that oh, well, is, my mom is, a. Oh, I was going to say, my mom's Puerto Rican, and I also barely know Spanish, so I'm like, <laughs> I'm kind of like a sad foreign person now, like, I'm abroad, and I have foreign partners and parents and all these things, and I only know English. That's hysterical. I mean, I, th I think there are people who have, like, an acumen for foreign languages, and maybe you and I are just people that don't have that <laughs> yeah. capacity. Um, so, tell me about, like, what the pandemic kind of, like, brought to you, and you had this unique opportunity to kind of do the thing you always wanted to do, and uh, walk me through that process and kind of how your journey has expanded from Australia now to Germany, and now you're doing um, the mindset coaching and the podcast coaching. Yeah. So when I was in corporate America, I worked in influencer and content marketing. And my background from school, like in undergrad and my master's was all about broadcast journalism, digital media, storytelling. So I always knew how to create content in different formats and different ways. And so that's what I did in corporate America. And then I remember being in that job and realizing that I had those content creation capabilities and I was seeing all these content creators monetize their content. And I'm like, I know how to do this. Like, this is what I went to school for. Why am I not on the other side of this? So that seed got planted in my head, probably at this point, like four years ago, where I'm like, you know how to create content. You're just not doing it. And you're sitting on the other side of it, working in like software sales that houses content creators. So I was sitting there thinking, what could I do? And I ended up, um, 
thinking if I just moved abroad, maybe I would get inspired and be able to start my business. But because I have no business background or entrepreneurial background, I ended up moving to Australia and getting a bunch of hospitality jobs because I do have to pay rent and pay for groceries. So I ended up in all these random hospitality jobs and odd jobs just trying to make ends meet. And then the pandemic hit. And it was really interesting because I had just spent all my Australian savings to move to the other side of Australia and start this new job. And I had asked the restaurant there, I was like, you know, there's this coronavirus thing happening. Are you guys sure you're going to be open? And they're like, we're in such a small town. Nothing's going to happen. I wouldn't even worry about it. It's not even going to hit us. And then the day that I got there, they're like, yeah, we just got orders that we have to like shut the restaurant completely down. So I would, I just spent all my money to get to the other side of Australia. And now I'm hearing that I can't even work, which I was supposed to work there for full time. And flights home were $10,000. Oh my God. $10,000. Oh my God. The cheapest flight home was $10,000. And that was like taking the long, 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 long route. That was like the best flight. (laughs) So obviously my options were so limited. And I think this is where my resiliency was really tested and like my willpower. Cause I was like, okay, well I'm not buying a $10,000 flight home. I literally can't work. What skills do I have that I could potentially monetize? And so this is when everybody was going into lockdown and started working out online. And I do have my yoga and meditation certification. So I was like, I'm just going to do zoom yoga classes and charge people. So I was just making packages up and charging like random prices. And I was just like, I'm going to teach Zoom yoga. Oh, and by the way, I was able to stay at someone's house and nanny for accommodation. So that's how I was living somewhere. Um, And then I was basically living off of my tax refund and stimulus check. So I had like very little wiggle room to play around with my money. But I knew that kind of put my, you know, back against the wall. And I was like, well, you need to figure out what skills you have. So the Zoom yoga started and I would say about two, two or three months into that. No, not even like two months into that. I was like, I'm not loving doing this. Like, I don't know that I really want to do this for that long. Also, my body just was not built to teach yoga like all day long. So then I started going back to my whole idea of the content creation stuff. And I'm like, Chelsea, you know how to create content. You know how to speak. You know how to be on camera. I used to want to be a sports reporter, by the way. So reporting and yeah, journalism and all that stuff is like part of my nature and my training. So by the way, I've had my podcast for four years. So then it started kind of clicking like all these little pieces of like, wait, okay, you've had your podcast so you could speak, you know how to talk to the camera. Like how can we kind of format this all into something? And it hit me that I was able to get through the whole year in Australia because of my mindset and how much self-development and investments I've made into that and Australia was one of the hardest years of my life like not only because of the pandemic but my dad had a stroke my grandpa passed away and I couldn't go to his funeral Uh, I was going through a breakup like I was dealing with a lot of the life stuff that people deal with over the span of a few years within like three months so I had gone through so much emotional stuff that the fact that I was able to make it through that lockdown like totally unscathed and fine I was like, I want to teach people how to build this emotional resiliency and use their mindset to overcome these struggles. So then it kind of clicked, like, I need to make a course. So then I made my course. And that's when the whole mindset coaching and everything took off. Because I was like, this is what I'm going to teach people about is 
how to regulate their mindset and emotions to basically face adversity. Wow. I, I mean, geez, I love that. That's amazing. Um, I mean, I similarly had like a very, very up and down turbulent last year. You know, I got laid off from my job, um, which turned out to be like the greatest thing that ever happened to me because it just inspired me to do a million other things. Um, I felt like for, you know, for better or for worse, the last year has done like one of two things to people. They've either done what you've done, which is really steer into it and made a huge positivity out of it or like they've just kind of turtled and gone into themselves um in in terms of your coaching like what have you seen uh through you know not maybe specific examples of you know clients of yours but like how they've been able to turn what has otherwise been like a, a tragic and shitty year into like a, a, a positive yeah i always basically tell people and this is something i learned through therapy and my own mindset work is like your thoughts are not facts so when I first heard that, it seemed so obvious, but I was like, no, they are facts because I'm thinking them like it's in my mind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, what right. are you talking about? And then my therapist was like, no, like if you went to a court of law, that would not hold up. Like it's not <laughs> the actual truth. And I was like, wow, that's a really interesting concept. I can change my thoughts. So that's what my course was about. And then I started teaching private clients about that, where basically kind of challenging them on their stories. Like, you know, no one's going to hire me. I'm like, that's weird. You have a job right now. So you got hired. How could you say that that's a truth? And they're like, well, it's the pandemic. I'm like, just so everybody, just because everybody is um, starting to work from home doesn't mean companies are closing down. Like people are hiring people online. A lot of people are still working just online. So I just started to kind of poke holes in these stories that people had to show them that they were like, oh yeah, you're you're right. And like, that's actually not true. Like these, these things and the extreme language that I use of like, nobody's gonna hire me or everybody hates me or I'm this and that. I'm like, that's not true. And I basically love to use the court of law example. I'm like, if you went to a judge with your thought, <laughs> could you prove it to be true? And always, 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 they're like, I like yeah, that. I guess I could, I guess I could find evidence that it's not true. And I'm like, exactly. So that's something I really always help my clients with is like, is this true or not? And let's find evidence to support the the better thought that could serve you well. Yeah, I like that. Um, that that's I'm going to steal that for sure. I like that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's <laughs> tremendous. Um, I found and and forgive me, I don't know how old you are, but I found that like in the last couple of years, I've seen the most growth like individually and inside myself um, than probably any other period of time in my life. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of that was, you know, through trials and tribulations and stuff. Um, over the last year, you've done a lot, you know, obviously, you've started a, a business, you've started, you know, really finding yourself in your career. What is the one thing that you've done over the last, you know, 12 months, whatever that you're most proud of? Oh, I would say that the one thing that immediately comes to mind is getting my finances together and like getting my shit together around finances. Can I cuss on this podcast? Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say that was that has been I'm 30, by the way, so I don't okay. mind sharing my age at all. Throughout my whole 20s, even though I was making really good money, <clears throat> excuse me, in my corporate American job. I somehow was living paycheck to paycheck. Like it made no sense. I would get a big commission check and blow it. I would get another paycheck. It would be gone. Mm -hmm. Somehow I would have to ask my dad to send me money. And I'm like, this doesn't make sense. Like I am a, I live alone in Chicago by myself. How on earth am I living paycheck to paycheck? So I remember during the whole pandemic, oh, weird fun fact. 
Australia, you get paid weekly. And I don't know why it just feels more safe to get paid weekly oh, than bi-weekly because yeah. you're like, you know what I mean? Like every Monday, my check is just coming. So I never really felt that pressure to get my finances together. And it wasn't until I started my business where I was like, well, the business and the fact that I started it with like little to no money where I'm like, you can't just pretend that one day your finances are going to be sorted. You really need to sit down and like understand your expenses, understand what you can, you know, do you have access to credit? Can you get some funding? Like, I don't even know. It took me a very long time to do that. But I will say that is one of the things I'm most proud of because I put it off for years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I I had a similar experience in in my twenties. I'm 35. Um, But it was more so, you know, I lived with my family for a very long period of time. So the, the lie that I told myself was it's okay for me to buy, you know, a hundred pairs of sneakers or, you know, five watches or whatever, you know, bottle service at the club because, you know, whatever, I'm going to get paid in two weeks and I don't have rent so I can do all these things. And then you end up, you know, really being like, what the fuck am I doing with myself? Um, But yeah, that's awesome. Um, I find what you do from like a career perspective, extremely interesting because I look at social media as this like, double-edged dagger kind of deal where it's an immense love-hate relationship that I have with it because, you know, I rely on it for, you know, listeners to my podcast and clients for my photography. And you can get caught up in looking at analytics and metrics and, you know, growth. And for someone who's trying to be better internally, it becomes like this, you know, cloud, right? Um, So for me, an important question that I had for you was, how do you look at it as something besides like a keeping up with the Joneses type situation where you can try to attack social media growth and, you know, your online presence in a more positive light than, you know, how it can occasionally kind of cloud? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's something that I have been very vocal about on my Instagram stories lately, because I don't know if you've seen this update where I mean, the algorithm's always changing, but now there's this big update that they're really going to prioritize reels and video content. And that's obviously to compete with TikTok. Mm -hmm. And I I took some video editing classes back in the day. And I'm like, video is so hard to do. And I don't think video creators get enough credit. It's so much work. And so when this update happened, I was like, oh, shit, people are like really going to have a hard time churning out constant video content. I think we're going to see a jump to podcasting, which is way more, in my opinion, there's more space to have longer storytelling going on. Like, Mm -hmm. right. I can't we can't talk about this in the DMs or like an email. It's like we're having a conversation because we have the space to talk about it. So I've been very vocal about it because I can see that people are like, they almost feel like they have to be circus monkeys now or like (laughs) actresses to keep up with the entertainment factor that Instagram is now turning into. And so just this morning, I was like, I need to reframe my relationship to social media. And I'm going to treat Instagram, especially as a supplementary platform, almost like a second email inbox. Hmm. So when people listen to my podcast, I know that they're going to try to contact me, but maybe it's not through email because whatever, you know, people have their personal email. They don't want to mix it up. They're probably going to try to DM me on Instagram. So I'm treating it more as like my second inbox versus something that is like, I have to every day post and grow and make it this big thing because we've all been there, right? Like you create this piece of content and you're like, this is the one that's going to go viral. (laughs) This is it. And then it's like, even if it does, you have to recreate another one. And so there's this constant pressure. So I'm like, instead of putting myself on that hamster wheel, which I've been on 
way too many times. Let me reframe the relationship to it and look at it again as like a supplementary platform to my podcast. I really like that. And uh, I wish I had that piece of advice like seven years ago. So I, I used to do <laughs> a lot of writing online for places like Elite Daily and Thought Catalog. And I did have a piece go wildly viral. It was why chivalry is dead from a man's perspective. And it was like everywhere fucking it was trash, but it was everywhere. And <laughs> I had this like, you know, you had this moment where you're like, oh shit, I wasn't expecting this to be the thing. And then like, I didn't capitalize on it. Although I did some cool things like, you know, work with Cosmopolitan and Huffington Post Live. And like, I had these really cool opportunities, but it never like triggered, right? I never really took advantage of that moment. And conversely, it's like kind of soured my relation with social media now, because like you said, you're like, oh, fingers crossed, this is the thing that does it. And it's not. And then it's like, you're just just constantly putting out these things that you're super proud of, whether it's a photograph, whether it's a podcast, and it's not getting the likes or the the listens or the downloads or the etc. And you know, you get in this fucking trend of just like a self fulfilling prophecy of like everything I'm doing isn't good enough. And for me, that's something that only recently in the last year or so I've been able to just put aside. I'm extremely comfortable in the human being that I am now. So I'm not necessarily worried about how many likes a picture of, you know, a parking cone I post gets. <laughs> right. It's, I mean, it's tough because that's how we, I mean, humans, like we love validation. So it's oh, like yeah. the way we get validation is obviously through the likes and the shares and this and that. But I think what also changed my relationship with social media, and I think this will help a lot of people, is we never have the context to the full story. Mm -hmm. So, for example, like there's this one health influencer that a lot of my clients idolize. They love her. They love the way she dresses and eats and where she lives in her home. But I'm like, okay, there's a wheel of life. There's relationships, there's spirituality, there's money, there's health, there's career. So maybe her career and finances wheels are like filled up right now. But she's been open on her podcast where she's like, guys, I haven't gone out to drinks with my friends in like six months. I haven't talked to my family in a month. I haven't had a boyfriend in two years. And I'm like, so why are we like striving to be like someone that we know everybody doesn't have that wheel of life at a 10 out of 10. So every time I get in that comparison game, I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe that person's like traveling around Europe, but how, how did they pay for it? Or are <laughs> they fighting with their boyfriend? Or did they have to beg their boss to take off and now they're going to get in trouble when they get back? And that's not to be negative. It's to, to be realistic. Like we know everybody's wheel of life is not spinning on a 10 out of 10 at all times. And that's really, really helped me with my social media comparison issues. I like that. The, the wheel, the wheel metaphor. That's, that's good. Um, and, and because uh, unfortunately online is uh, like a, it's a highlight reel. We, we have a very small glimpse into like who the person is. And that's one of the things that like really made me want to start the podcast. Cause I wanted to be like, listen, I've lost my job. I have lost my identity as a working human being and I'm kind of okay with it. And like, I want people to be able to like, you know, not people, I mean like my friends and my family to be able to listen to me talk about like the things that I'm going through, because I know there are people who are able to relate, even though they won't say it. Um, and I think that wheel metaphor is another thing that I'm going to be stealing from this conversation. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, like I said, that's why I've been screaming from the rooftops about podcasting because to me, podcasting isn't just, oh, I'm putting a podcast out and hopefully get a lot of listens. It's like we get to have incredible conversations like this that I know is going to help someone, even mm -hmm. if it's one person. And I see it as a long game. 
And I was like, wow, however many podcasts I've done now, I've been able to talk to that many incredible people. Imagine if I keep going, how many more incredible people I get to talk to. And with podcasting, it sounds like you agree with me. It's like, it's kind of therapeutic. I'm like, I love turning on the mic. I'm like, being like, woo, let me just get all my thoughts out. And I don't have to worry about, you know, is someone watching my live video or this and that? It's like, let me just plug in the microphone, say what I want to say. And I always feel lighter after I record. I couldn't couldn't agree with you more. I, uh, I have a cheesy line at the end of every podcast that everyone I have on my show is like now family. And it is true. These are like hour long therapy sessions where you get to have conversations with, you know, we're strangers, but now, you know, through this common experience, we become friends and there's something sort of refreshing and amazing um, about podcasts. Uh, that allows something like that to happen. And it's one of the reasons why I love it. Um, I've been pretty vocal about how like throughout my life, you have these, you know, momentous occasions like high school graduation, college graduation, first job, etc. And for the most part of your life, you're always like, where am I going to be in five years, like 20, 25, 30, 35, etc. And the expectations very rarely match reality. Um, as a 30-year-old woman now living in Berlin, um, do you see yourself trying to forecast your life further into the future as you know, five years out? Or is it something where you've reached a point where you no longer have to look ahead like that anymore? It's definitely where I don't look at it anymore because everything I look back at now to where I, from where I've been, wait, let me rephrase this. <laughs> when I look back at where I've been to where I am now, I could have never forecasted it. So I'm like, why would I think now forecasting would make me predict or even help? Like even my career in corporate America, that happened kind of randomly. Like I went to a career fair and ended up meeting these people in Chicago that were based in Orlando, Florida, which is where I'm from originally. I'm like, that's weird that that happened that way. So if I would have forecasted it like, oh, in five years, I'm going to be a sports reporter on ESPN and keep doing it that way, I would have never had the opportunity to meet those people. And then had I never uh, taken the chance to come to Germany and like see what would happen, I would have never actually known what the experience would be like. So now I don't forecast as much as I do um, kind of, I'm trying to think of a, a word to call it. A lot of people call it like timeline jumping or like, um, embodying the future you, which sounds kind of a little, a little like new age, <laughs> but it goes back to the finance example. I think that's the best way to explain it. Like when I wanted to, when I thought about what would a financially sound or wealthy person do, they would probably have a financial plan. They would maybe have an advisor or mentor. Maybe they would have accounting software. They would understand the language of money. And so I started doing that. I started reading money books. I started familiarizing myself with these financial terms and hanging out with people that knew things and connecting with accountants. And so eventually that paid off and I became the person I wanted to be around finances. So now I do that with everything. Like if I really want to be, let's say, I don't know, a uh, an author in five years, instead of being like, I'm going to be an author in five years, it's like, well, what would an author do right now? She would probably set aside time to outline her chapters and start writing one page a day. And then you just inevitably become that person. Wow. That's awesome. I would imagine that being a mindset coach helps with that type of a mindset. Um, so yeah. as, as a coach for, you know, not just podcasts, but like, you know, having that kind of goal oriented thought process as well, what do you find is like the most common, uh, theme in terms of like, uh, an inhibitor for someone to kind of have that, uh, mental view of their own life? 
Ooh, this is a good one. I, I would actually say there's two big ones that have kept coming up over and over and over. And the first one is people thinking that because someone else is doing it, that they can't do it. Mm. And I always remind people that I'm like, guys, no one, I, I hate to burst everyone's bubble, but like no one is that special or unique. <laughs> We're all just adding our own flavor onto it. Like I know for an actual fact, I could take this to a court of law, <laughs> that if I brought my podcast to a judge, I know that there are other people talking about what I talk about. There's probably 50,000 podcasts that talk about what I talk about, but they don't talk about it the way I do. They don't have the angle. They don't have my voice. So that's why I keep doing it. And I love, I know you're Italian, so you'll appreciate this example. I use Italian restaurants as an example. No matter like what neighborhood you go to, there's always a few Italian restaurants. And one is known for their meatballs, and one is known for their subs, and one is known for the wine and the ambiance. But you never go to the neighborhood and you're like, wow, why would Joe's meatballs open if Tony's wine is down the street? You're just like... They all have their own unique thing. So that's what I always say to my clients. I'm like, there probably is someone that's talking about whatever you want to talk about in a podcast. There probably is somebody that has that business idea, but they're not going to do it in the way you do it. And let's say you are doing something very similar. Not everybody knows the people that you're talking about. So I had a girl that like really wanted to do this dance class, but this woman that she followed had done a dance class recently. So she's like, I can't do it. I'm like, <laughs> not everybody... <laughs> Not everybody that follows you follows that other girl. And that girl is not the inventor of dance. Like anybody can run a dance class. And it's just interesting that we have this idea because someone else has done it recently that we can't do it. Yeah. That's one of the biggest ones that keeps coming up. And I would say the second one is just, I think people are actually just scared of what's on the other side of success. I'm like, people want the, the to go viral, the money, the this, the that. But it comes and they're like, oh, whoa, like when you go viral, you get more DMs. When you have more signups, you have to manage more money. And I think people are scared of that. And that's what holds them back is they're like, I don't really want to deal with all that. I'll just kind of like stay in my turtle shell and, and see what happens down the road. Yeah, uh, I, I can relate tremendously to the first point that you made because I am the exact opposite. The reason why I started my podcast is I had friends of mine who started a podcast and I've consumed a ton of podcast media. So it was like, for me, it was like a no brainer. And I do understand, like I've had this conversation with friends of mine, you know, whether it's like doing, you know, yoga teaching or whatever, like we've, we've reached kind of like this weird crossroads in society after a year of no one doing anything that people have reevaluated their lives. And a lot of people have told me like, yeah, I would love to do this, but like, you know, they do that and like i probably can't do it so like what's the point i'll just like go to work tomorrow i'm like that's like the worst worst mindset it is terrible because you're just stopping yourself before you even try it's like i've for better or for worse made so many mistakes in my life and i've gone for so many things in my life because i was unafraid to fail and there is this mindset that like if your highlight reel on instagram gets messed up well, now everyone's going to know you're a failure. And I like would love to break that mold because it's bullshit. At the end of the day, it's just bullshit. Like we should be unapologetically afraid to not fail. Like just go for it. Yeah, and I just recently learned this term which I think is so helpful is failure tolerance. Mm. Of like the same way that you know when you go to a gym, you don't go and just like pick up the heaviest weight and <laughs> think you're going to be in the weightlifting Olympics. You're like, I'm going to start small. And I know when I maybe like weight, go up a weight class or whatever it is, I might drop the weight or I might not be that good at it. But you don't just like stop going to the gym. But all of a sudden when it comes to a business or a podcast or anything, 
people don't have this high failure tolerance. They're like, if I mess up one thing, if there's a typo in the graphic or, you know, my question wasn't asked the right way, people are going to, you know, tear me down. And I'm like, I always challenge my clients. I'm like, I want you to go find someone you admire. And I want you to like intentionally find a mistake that they made because you'll see that that never stopped them. <laughs> and they are human. Yeah. That I don't know one person that's nailed it back to back to back to back. Like that's just impossible. I'm sure there's, I, I mess up on my podcast probably every week. I always like <laughs> say a word wrong <laughs> or like, I don't know how to wrap up the ending and I've done it for 120 episodes and oh, I still awesome. mess up. But I'm like, I, I think the failure tolerance thing is something that people can work on because once you understand that I am going to fail, but I'm going to treat it as an experiment versus a failure, right? Kind of like a science experiment. When you do a science experiment, you know, maybe you won't get the outcome that you're hoping for, but you use it as feedback. That's how I think of podcasting, business, ideas, anything. I love that. Um, I think that's a, an incredible thought process when when going into like taking on a new challenge. That's that's really impressive. Um, you had like this like opportunity over the last year where, like you mentioned, your back was up against the wall. Um, what gave you the, kind of the confidence or the belief in yourself that you could be successful doing something that you know you had experience doing from a corporate perspective, but never like soul solely on your own, like self-reliant, like what was like innately in you that gave you, um, you know, the, the confidence to be able to be successful? Oh, I'm trying to think of what did give me that confidence. I think, I don't think I knew what the outcome would be, but to your point earlier where I was like, if I don't do this and try, I'm never going to know. So I don't know that I had a ton of confidence as much as I had a lot of faith. I was like, I'm just going to see what happens and put this out. And there's also this um, thing I'm learning about. I think it's the law of reciprocity, kind of like this universal law where like when you are constantly inputting energy into something, it's almost inevitable that there will be an output. Mm -hmm. So I was just thinking if I've been putting all these years, like truly years and years and years of reading books, listening to podcasts, working on the mindset stuff, going to therapy, there's no way that this can't have an outcome. Like it has to turn into something. I will say too, I had a lot of, I have a really good support system. Like my family has never held me back. They're like, okay, I've never heard of this, but go ahead and do it. We know, <laughs> you know, mindset coaching, like, isn't a thing you go to college for. So they're like, I, I don't know what you're doing. Um, even my friends were like, don't really get it, but okay. And I think support systems are a big, big deal Very when it comes crucial. to doing mm -hmm. something new. Yeah. And like mentors, like I did hire people to help me. I'm like, I don't really know what I'm doing. Like I need help. But I also think the uh, confidence came from knowing that like everything that I've ever tried has worked out in some way. And I had to find that evidence for myself. Like I didn't know when I moved to Australia, if I was going to be able to, I don't know, you know, find a great apartment with great roommates. And like I did. And then I didn't know if I was going to be able to get a job. And then I did. So I just had to keep showing myself like everything you've tried, even if it hasn't worked out in the best way possible, has worked out. And so I always had to go back to the evidence that I had for myself. But yeah, yeah it's it kind of a mix of things. Yeah, I like that because for some reason, you know, I, I've, I've innately had this irrational confidence in myself that I'll like I'll be successful at whatever it is that I'm doing. Um, you know, whether it's photography or writing or podcasting or whatever it might be, I've always just had this self-belief that like, I can fucking do it, doesn't matter. Like, and maybe it'll suck, maybe it'll be good, but I can do it. Like, I, you know, 
pick up a camera, learn how to do it. Buy a microphone, learn how to record. Um, so I like asking people like what gives them like the mindset or the, or the confidence to be able to do something that they've never done before because I can't explain it myself. And, and I like learning from other people on how they've been able to take these risks um, and do something like truly incredible. Um, so that that's yeah. pretty great. Uh, I want to add to that actually now that you say that because it's true like I just learned you can teach yourself anything like I said I didn't know how to manage my money but I learned I went on YouTube I asked people I took courses and so I think that's I actually think you develop confidence from doing things that you say you're going to do and then making the decisions that align with what you say you're going to do so I always felt insecure about money because I never actually sat down to budget. And so, of course, the story in my head was, I'm bad at money. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm so I suck with money. But until I made the decision to be like, get your shit together financially, <laughs> sit down and do it. And then I took the steps to start doing it. Now I feel way more confident around money because I started making decisions that that a person that was financially sound would make. Totally. So, yeah, I think I think, too, that um, what helps with this question, because I'm like, now I'm thinking about it in such different, so many different ways, is taking people off of pedestals. It oh, sounds yeah. like that's what you've been able to do. Like, instead of being like, oh, you know, whatever, this celebrity has a podcast. I'm not a celebrity. I can't find one. I'm like, take them off a pedestal. You know, all they're doing is plugging in a microphone and recording into the same software that you have ha access to. And you can do the same thing. The only difference is that they're doing it. Mm -hmm. So that helped me a lot was like, I don't care if this person has done a yoga Zoom class and they have a million dollar app. Like, I'm going to do it. I can figure it out. I have access to the same Zoom that she does. So why couldn't <laughs> I do it too? And that has really helped me a lot is like not putting anybody above me. Totally. I think the other true impact uh, on in confidence in terms of myself and being able to take risks is like time and age. And like, I wish you had, you know, I had been able to learn more at a younger age. Like, you know, that's just something that comes with life, obviously, but like somewhere around, you know, 28 to 31, like everything kind of clicked. And like, it's unfortunate that it takes, you know, 30 years for you to like figure it all out. And I still don't have anything figured out. Um, but it is like the, the time piece is, is like a huge, um, you know, teacher, like time teacher you a lot like the lessons that you learn over the course of your life is a, is a huge uh impact on you know you being able to take these risks and, and do those things um for sure yeah yeah i think also if you didn't go through a lot of these things you wouldn't even know how to handle it you know what i mean like totally. it took it took me being so bad at my finances to be to prompt me to want to look at them it took me going through dating really shitty guys to be like okay now i know what i want I mean, the person you're hearing now, to your point, is not who I was when I was 20 to like 28. I was blacking out every weekend, <laughs> so hungover at work, like yeah. doing not bad things with bad people. You know what I mean? It was just like, this isn't who I was. But eventually you kind of get sick of your own shit and you're like, I'm going to turn this ship around step by step and you end up doing it. Totally. How do you deal with, um, like I've found often that there is, I don't know if it's like a FOMO thing with people, but like, you know, th there's something innately where people don't want to see growth, right? Like you mentioned like 20 to 25, you were blacking out, making bad decisions, like similarly the same. And like, there's something about society now where like, you're not allowed to make mistakes in life at an early age. And I, I find it like a very uh, detrimental thing in the world that we live in where we're no longer allowed to like be better versions of ourselves. And it's almost like anything you did previous to you, like 
getting to the point in your life where you're comfortable in your own skin is like at any point can be brought back up and being like, nope, canceled. You're done. <laughs> I think that what's missing a lot is like people not really thinking through how did I deal with that when I was younger? Or like, how would I want to deal with that if that happened to me? Like emotional intelligence is actually yeah. the word. I mean, I was thinking about this myself where I'm like, yeah, I used to be really reactive to things like, oh, yeah, screw them or they didn't do this right or this and that. And then I really started to put myself in that person's shoes or whoever it was. And I'm like, wow, if someone, you know, came for me right now or something, I would pray that they would be like, you know what, let's give her a chance to course correct or let's give her the chance to apologize or let's give her the chance to be like I was a different person back then that's not what I believe in anymore sure and it's taken me a lot of like self-reflection to come to that point where I'm like yeah I don't need to I'm not the sheriff of the world like I, I can't decide who gets to make mistakes and who doesn't so I can't expect people like I don't want people to do the same for me but I think um I think also again social media has just amplified things more totally. like who I was when I was 21, you weren't seeing a lot of it because it wasn't as documented where now you walk down this. I mean, I do this all the time. I walk down the street and I'm filming everything <laughs> and filming my grocery trip and filming my workout. And I'm like, no wonder everybody is just being under a microscope now where I'm like, none of that existed when I was in my twenties. Yeah. Thank God. Right. <laughs> um, no, literally thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I've, I've had this conversation with a couple photographers who I've had on my podcast, um, who have had, you know, tremendous success in their careers and worked with huge magazines and brands and, and the whole, and the whole nine yards, um, about dealing with imposter syndrome about how I, for better, or for worse, as much as I've improved as a human being in like in my own eyes over the last few years, I still, whenever I hop on the microphone or I pick up my camera, I, I have this teeny tiny little bit of doubt of like who the fuck are you to think that you can do this thing um how do you deal with imposter syndrome and what are some things that you can like give as tips or suggestions um for the listeners on on how to try to avoid um the trap which is you know that self-doubt oh yeah this is something that i think a lot of clients come to me with as well is the imposter syndrome. And I've really been trying to explore the definition behind that versus insecurity, because I'm like, are you, are you feeling like an imposter? Or are you just insecure? Because I do kind of think they're different things. And so I feel like if you're insecure, it's because there's something you don't know. So for example, like one of my clients, she started a new business and she's like, I just feel insecure because I don't know certain things about the industry I'm in. So I'm like, okay, so you just go learn, like go mm -hmm. take a course on it, go watch a YouTube video, go read a book, go listen to a podcast and you develop confidence. Just like when I moved to Germany, I'm like, I was so insecure when I moved here. I don't, I don't know the language. I don't know anything about German like culture or anything. And I'm like, I was, I had to put myself out there. I had to go sign up for a language school. I had to download Duolingo and practice. Like, <laughs> and it's still kind of embarrassing where I'm like, I'm insecure about it. But I think that is different than imposter syndrome where you feel like you're going to get caught because you don't have the proper XYZ certifications or qualifications. And I used to deal with this a lot, even at work. Um, I got hired as a manager when I was 25 and I was managing like 35 year olds and people older than me. And I was like, wait, they're going to catch me and be like, she's not a real manager. Who is this girl? We got to kick her out of the company. And I'm like, well, no, they did the interview with me and they hired me like, what's going on. And I'm like, looking back, I'm like, I think I just felt like an imposter because of how society tells us like, you can't be younger and manage older people or 
whatever the case is, right? You can't be a successful photographer at age 20. And there's all these like fake rules that exist that we hold ourselves to. And I think that's where imposter syndrome comes from is we've been sold this story that everything has to be so hard and take so long and you have to put all the blood, sweat and tears in. And so when people hit success early on, they're like, well, wait, it didn't take me 40 years. It didn't take me, you know, spending my life savings on it. It happened actually pretty quick. And because that's not a normal story in society, I think that's where imposter syndrome pops up. So I think with how to like overcome it is really, it's a bunch of different things. It's like understanding that there is no rule. There are no rules. The rules are made up and continuing to like validate yourself and no, no, like, you know what? Yeah, I did put in the work to become a successful photographer. I have done the work to start my business and it, whatever I don't know, I'm willing to learn. Mm, I like that. Um, I, I was chatting recently with a, a young man who, you know, young man, he's 31, but <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> he became the sous chef at a very famous New York City restaurant at 21 years old. And his kind of explanation of it was like, you know, there was days where I was like worried that I would be quote unquote, like found out as this fraud. Yeah. He's like, but that would like belittle all of the hard work that he had put in to get to that position. And like through hard work, I think you can always overcome any sort of, um, you know, misgivings or, or shortcomings that you have in, in, in these imposter like situations where you feel like you're incapable of doing the thing. Um, and, and I think that you're, you're a hundred percent spot on. Um, and you brought up an interesting point that I think makes for a good segue is like the, the time factor of like life. I feel like you go through a certain like checklist, right? Like you have to have a boyfriend by 25 and married by 27 in the house and the white pick offense. Um, and I feel like the thing that kind of got me off that merry-go-round was like becoming my own boss and running my own business. Um, for you, like when you kind of jump off like the rat race and like you're, you know, your sole provider and you're not relying on a company for, you know, everything it's just soul you know on yourself um talk to me about like what that feeling is like once you kind of like i feel like i dropped jumped off the hamster wheel and i'm now like doing my own thing at my own pace and i couldn't be happier um but tell me about your kind of experience with that over the last year yeah i would say that my imposter syndrome did kick up a lot last year because of what we've the structures that we've been in right like Again, like what you said, the school system, you go to school at 18, you go to you get your college degree for four years, maybe you get a master's, you get a nice corporate job, you work up the corporate ladder, blah, blah, blah. And then in my job, most people work nine to five. So to all of a sudden have the freedom to like create my own schedule and charge whatever pricing I want and take on however many clients I want, because our whole lives we're used to an authority telling us what to do, whether that's your parent, your boss, your manager, whatever the case is, it was very weird to all of a sudden be like, no one's here to tell me what to do. Like, who do I talk to about what do I charge? What can I work like only two hours today? Can I take <laughs> off Fridays? Like it felt so weird. And so I would say in the beginning, it was an adjustment. And I kept telling my friends and family that I'm like, I feel like people are going to check in on me and realize I'm not working nine <laughs> to 10 hours a day or yeah. that I take longer than a one hour lunch break because that was also actually experiences that happened in my corporate job where people were kind of like clocking your lunch breaks and seeing what time you left and came in. So I'm like, of course, my nervous system is used to that pattern, right? It's like, I, I was trained to get in trouble for certain things in corporate America, that no wonder when I'm on my own, I still have this fear of like being caught. So yeah, in the beginning, it was not easy. I will say that it took me a long time to be like, it's okay to make your own schedule. 
And now I've accepted that the more that I continue to listen to my intuition and how I want to build my business, the better my business is. Like I learned the hard way. I can't stack my calendar with a bunch of meetings, especially with the work I do. Mindset stuff is not like light and breezy all the time. Yeah. So the, the, you know, the, container that I kind of need to hold for my clients on zoom and, and really listening to them. I can't jumble all these meetings back to back and do all these courses. I'm like, I need space to like relax and exhale in between them. And so now I only do like two calls a day. And I remember being like, my family's going to think I'm crazy that I only do like two or three calls a day. And that I sometimes sleep in until 10. And that sometimes I work at midnight, like because it's so non-traditional. So yeah, it's been an adjustment, but I would say in the last probably like three to six months, I've really accepted the more and more that I make my schedule work for me again, the better my client experiences are. And that's a win-win for everybody. Yeah. I like that. Um, yeah, I, I, I've, I've, I've kind of done the same thing in the last year and you know, I'm extremely similar in terms of how I build my schedule. Like I either want to be slammed in the morning or slammed in the afternoon. And I want to be able to have like the freedom to do like podcasts and photo shoots and stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um, one of the things that I've done a, a good job over the last year is trying to like sort of mitigate the future regret of not doing something. Um, but like, you know, going through life, you obviously have a number of things that you regret that you did or didn't do. Um, so talk to me about like some of the things that you do. I, I call it like mitigating regret or like future proofing yourself from like having regret. Um, so tell me some of the things that you do to kind of like, you know, save yourself from like that. Oh fuck. I wish I didn't do that or shit. I wish I did do that. Yeah. I would say it's kind of what you just said, kind of like future proofing again, there's actually words for this. People call it like, future casting or like becoming the future you. And so what I do basically, and this might sound a little esoteric, but I feel like it will be helpful for some people is like, I just think of what would I want to do if I were in the future position? Like if I were Chelsea in five years, what would she be looking back to Chelsea now saying, look, if you just had done that one thing or made that one tweak or said that one thing, you wouldn't be in this position. And then I just kind of have to muster up the courage to do it. Actually, I have an example. And it's, it sounds a, a little sad at first, but I promise it's not. When my dad had his stroke last year, I remember going immediately into kind of, you know, a tailspin. I was in Australia. So I was like, what's going to happen? Is he going to die? What, like, this is the scariest thing of my life. I'm not there. Is he going to hate me because I couldn't fly home? Just like completely in my head. And then about a day later, I had to be like, you need to regulate your emotions because this is not going to help anybody. And I started to do what we're talking about. Like, what would I regret? I actually call it like the worst case scenario. What is the worst case scenario? Well, my dad could pass away. That was the worst case scenario. And so I thought about, okay, if my dad passes away, let's say tonight, what would I regret not doing or saying? And so I actually wrote him an email and I was like, I would love to just get to know you, not as your daughter, but like as a peer to peer kind of thing. Like, I just want to ask you random questions. So if for any reason, God forbid you pass away, like I have this nice email that I can look at and be like, you know what? I at least tried to have a final conversation with my father instead of going all in my head of like, what's going to happen? I don't know. And so because of that, walking myself through the worst case scenario, I was able to come up with that idea of sending him an email. And now we have this beautiful email exchange where he answered all these fun questions. And now I know him from a different perspective. And, um, and now I do that with everything. Like, what is the worst case scenario? And then work backwards from there. But 
it's uh, it's definitely a practice. It's something you have to actively do and really walk yourself through it. I really love that um, because like I, I, I've randomly started, I didn't know it was like a thing, but I have started doing similar conversations with not just my parents, you know, because they're older, um, but like with like friends and, and family in general. Um, it's weird. You can be lifelong friends with a person and like not know what their favorite color is or like, you know, know someone yeah. for 30 years and not know like what their favorite movie is. And like, I think when you have this concept of this worst case scenario where like, you know, there's no guarantees in life. Like there's nothing that says like I'm, you know, couldn't get hit by a bus today. Um, you uh, like a year like this last year really, um, you know, enforces the fact that like getting the opportunity to spend time talking to your friends and family is like what's m probably the most important thing in life. And we get so caught up on work and, you know, money and all these things that are really not important that we don't do that. And uh, that's like the fifth thing now that I'll be uh, borrowing from, from this conversation for <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what's interesting though is like you already do half the thing. So it's like a lot of people don't realize they're already doing it mm. but just because they haven't figured out the name or there's not a label they're like oh i don't know what i'm doing i'm like yes you do like you do all my clients i'm like you know what you're doing you just either need like a guide or someone to kind of like get you back on track but it's not like you don't know what you're talking about or doing i'm not talking about you specifically i'm yeah, talking no. about like people yeah. they, you know they're like oh i don't i don't know i don't have the answer i'm like you actually do you're i think you're just scared of what to change or what to do to see it come uh, come to life totally um i have like uh before we like ro roll into like the end of the episode where like i, I just do some rapid fire questions um th there's uh, you mentioned tiktok i'm weirdly super obsessed with tiktok now it's like fucking so bad it's just like it's, it just i it I, I can't even explain it. it's just hysterical um but there there i came across this account that ask like random strangers like are you happy and i've been doing that on my podcast and you know i didn't steal it from them i, I just happened to know uh, but my first question is are you happy Ooh, wow that is like a, a deep but simple question yeah. and i would say i would say i'm content hmm. i don't know if that's the same thing as happy it's not so yeah okay so then maybe maybe it's a no and i can explain which I feel like I kind of did in this podcast, but Germany has been a really, really hard adjustment. I think people hear, oh my God, you fell in love and moved to Germany and they only hear that piece. And I'm like, yeah, and I don't know anybody. Mm -hmm. I don't know the language. We live in a small town. I don't have any like girlfriends. Um, my time zone is weird with my clients. So I have to work weird hours. Like it's actually been way, way harder than I thought. And I'm pretty used to like adjusting to my surroundings. Like I've always been a traveler. I'm quick to adjust. But the fact that now, not only am I doing all this uh, moving abroad, but I'm doing it during a pandemic. Like when I moved here, we were still in lockdown and in a relationship where I'm like, I haven't been in a serious committed relationship in a while, let alone lived with my partner. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like going through all these changes at once has been quite, uh, quite a lot of work and a, a big like overload to my nervous system that I don't think I really thought through, mm -hmm. but I am, it is something that I have to like actively work on every day and you know, luckily I do have a lot of tools that I can use and dip into, but yeah, Germany is, it's been hard to adjust. Yeah. That's understandable. I mean, you, you, for better or for worse, you took a, you know, big leap into the, the deep end of the pool and, uh, you know, you're getting to the surface and you know, you'll breach soon. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, what, what's your biggest fear? Ooh, my biggest fear right now is like 
knowing that I have a good idea or big, big vision and then not acting on it because I'm like scared of what people think. Mm. Um, And that's actually coming up right now. Like I've just been really inspired by music videos lately. And I'm like, I want to rebrand, but I want, I want to do like a big rebrand. Like I want to do a photo shoot as if I'm a performance artist. Like I don't want to do a cute little photo shoot in a cafe working on my laptop. Like I want to pretend I'm, like Lady Gaga and I'm like that is actually kind of nuts because I'm just a mindset coach and a podcast coach you know what I mean but I'm like I just think like if we have the freedom right now to create our reality which I think many of us realized in 2020 I'm like why would I if I'm gonna hire a photographer and go to a cafe why don't I do the same thing and hire a photographer and like go to a cool city and do like some shoot with body art and glitter and paint (laughs) and I'm like it sounds crazy and I'm like that's cool though I feel, yeah, I'm like, I just feel like it's this big idea and big vision that I'm like, I would be really fearful that I would just let that die and like always look back and be like, wow, remember when you had that really cool idea and you just like didn't act on it because of whatever, it wasn't normal. Yeah, I uh, I saw some video on YouTube. I, I, geez, I can't remember who it was, it, it, whatever. The, the premise was that like it takes x number of days for someone to like relearn a habit right so like for this person in this video the habit was he wanted to get into a point of making like a checklist every day of like five day things and then check all five day things of those things off every day um and i noticed that i do like set a voice memo or a reminder for later like write you know hey siri set a reminder for blah 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 blah, blah. or hey blah, 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 do this. And then it's like these ideas that I have on something that I want to do. And then like, I just have this habit. Oh, Jesus. Sorry, stop. (laughs) That was funny. Um, And then I have like this fucking 35 reminders on my phone and I'd never check them off. So I've, in the last two weeks, I've started writing them down on paper and then crossing them off as each of those things get done. And it's made a tremendous impact on just like my productivity and then like also things that I want to do and get them done. Um, So by all means, oh, sweet. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I love that. (laughs) That's what I do too. (laughs) Yeah. For those of you who can't see us, Chelsea just held up a piece of paper with her checklist. So yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. And I only write down a few things every day to make sure that it's doable and I can cross them off. I like that. Yeah. This is new for me. So I'm I'm super into it. Um, What inspires you? What inspires me is for sure right now, plants. <laughs> like I have been, so I don't know why I think I've been watching a lot of our planet and I have been so inspired. Well, well, taking a step back, I always, I never had plants before. I was like, I'm not a green thumb. I'm not a plant person. I could never take care of one. Like I never understood the hype around plants. And then when we got to Germany, like I said, it, it has been really hard adjusting. And I'm like, I feel like we need to spruce up the room with some plants. And so we kind of went crazy and bought all these plants. And I was like, I don't know why we bought this many because I can't take care of them. Like, (laughs) I'm not a plant person, but they've been alive now for like six months. And I'm like, oh my God, I am a plant person. And I'm so inspired by, well, A, there's just so many different ones, but like one of them, um, we went out of town and we forgot to ask our roommate to water it. So completely died, but then we cut off all the leaves and now it's regrowing completely back to normal. And I'm like, holy shit, like plants are incredible. And I'm like, I sound like a stoner or something, but I'm like, I have been so into our planet. And I think the way David Attenborough like walks through the plant kingdom and animals and nature, I've been really, really inspired to the point where I'm like, I just want to go to like a jungle or my next trip, I want to go to like 
a very heavily nature focused trip and completely get inspired by nature again. I like that. There's also like a probably, you know, if I was a better writer, there's a really good metaphor there about like dead plants and people and, you know, we'll unpack that later for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I mean, I actually like use a metaphor all the time with my clients when they're like, I want to go fast and get this thing off the ground and da da da. I'm like, a plant does not grow in one night. It needs water. You don't sit by the plant and like obsess over it and be like, why aren't you growing? Get to growing. You're like, you give it its space to grow. And then find all of a sudden you look over and you have this like beautiful plant in the window. I'm like, that's going to be your business or your podcast or your idea. So I like yeah, that. I've been dropping a lot of plant metaphors <laughs> lately with my clients. I like that. Yeah. My brother, uh, you know, I, I haven't had him on the podcast yet and I'm, I'm dying to have him on, but you know, he read me some statistic, like, you know, 1% of podcasts exceed like 10 episodes or something, which is like mind boggling to me because there's so many podcasts out there. And he was like, I'm so proud of you for like continuing to do this. And like, you're into your 30th plus episode now. Like, that's awesome. I'm like, dude, I'm not doing shit. Like, these are just conversations with people. He's like, you just like kind of at times have to like understand that like you're doing something cool, whether you can't realize it in the moment or not. And uh, yeah, similarly, uh, that's, that's the plant metaphor. Like it's, it's growing. Mm -hmm. It's there. I just can't see it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And it's so, that is an interesting stat, right? Like I found the Crazy. same, uh, and I was like, wait, how is that possible? And my friend actually started one. And then about seven episodes in, she started, I mean, she stopped. And I was like, wow, that's so interesting that, that after seven you stop. And I'm like, I think because people get scared of like, oh my God, I'm going to run out of content or guests, or I don't know what to talk about anymore. And I think to your point, when you've done a really great job of being like, these are just conversations. I don't need to put pressure on this to be some like massive content machine. And now it's turned out to be something really enjoyable for you. Oh yeah. I love it. It's, it's tremendous. Um, what's your favorite book? Oh, I would say people talking a lot about money. So uh, one of my favorite ones that was so helpful was You Are a Badass at Making Money by Jen Sincero. Mm. Um, she was this writer who was really, really broke. And she opened up about her story about how she ended up making money and now is a famous writer and makes a lot of money. But what I liked about it, it was very practical. So it wasn't this like vague money book that was just like using big words. It was like, at the end of every chapter, it's like, here's five things you can do literally right now to work on your money story or your money habits. And I always recommend that book to clients when they're like, I, I don't know what to do when it comes to money. I'm like, don't start with the big, heavy, like financially, you know, uh, what's it called? Like investor books, like start with this basic one. And that one honestly was like the catalyst for me getting my finances together. Nice. What's your favorite movie? Oh my God. The first one that comes to mind immediately is um, 10 Things I Hate About You. With <laughs> nice. Heath Ledger and Julia Stiles. Uh, I love that movie. So good. Yeah. There's so many famous people in that movie. It's crazy. It is. I like, every time I rewatch it, I'm like, why doesn't this movie get more hype? But I think it got its, it came back kind of during the pandemic when everybody was just watching movies all day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. What's your favorite food? Oh, okay. It used to be chips and salsa. Like everybody knew this about me. It's, I actually think it's on my website as a fun fact. But when I moved to Australia and Germany, the Germ the Mexican food here is not good. And the chips and salsa have, I don't think I've had quality chips and salsa in like two years. Oh, so. No. I would say right now it's probably steak. I really, really love steak. Nice. Yeah. Same. Obviously. Yeah. Nice. Um, <laughs> this is a bit heavy, but do you believe in an afterlife? Oh, a hundred percent. Nice. Me yeah. Too. Not heavy at all. It's like part of my work. I actually 
talk about it a lot. That's why I'm like, some things I hope today made sense, but I'm like, I, I am like quite spiritual and believe in an afterlife for sure. I like that. Yeah, same for sure. Um, what's like one piece of advice um, that you can give to people who are listening to you for the first time on the podcast? Okay, so I feel like the the best piece of advice I can give people right now is going back to context is key. Like you cannot make a judgment call on anybody until you have all the context. You cannot compare yourself on social media until you have the context. You can't make a decision on something until you have the context. And I really have started to like take that in and embody it in my life. And I think that has helped me overcome so many things, the comparison, envy, jealousy. I'm like, I don't have all the context, so I'm not going to make any judgment calls. And I feel like I've actually become quite a less judgmental person because of this piece of advice. Oh, I like that. Yeah. It's weird. I have become less judgmental later in life, you know, political shit aside, but like just like people stuff. Um, And I wonder if it's because I've just realized everyone's just like the same semi broken human being as like I am. So like, yeah, right. Exactly. That I guess I don't, I know I'm breaking the rules by giving two, but it's like, (laughs) stop putting, stop putting people on pedestals. Like I've had some really, really big names on my podcast and people are like, did you pay that person? Like, how did did you, you know, do you know their like cousin? How did you get them on? I'm like, you know why? Because they are a human being. They wake up, they have to eat breakfast. They have to go to the bathroom. They have to shower. They have to put a shirt on. Like they're not some like alien, untouchable, uh, you know, God. Yeah. I'm like, hello. They do all the same (laughs) things we do. They just either have more money or more teams or more help, but like they're still a human being. And to be honest, like from a practical standpoint, podcasting people love talking about themselves for an hour so it's actually quite easy to book like bigger names on podcasts than people think but i really think the moment i took people off of pedestals i was like okay i can do anything no one's above me or below me i thought yeah i've gotten better at that lately um i was on a, a friend of mine's podcast just yesterday um having a discussion about taking people off pedestals and uh it's such a crucial and important thing that if you're able to do it and it's like super hard you know you look at someone they've got fifty thousand instagram followers or you know millions of dollars and it's easy for them to be something that you like reach for and then you got to realize like they're just a person like everybody poops (laughs) yeah just a person they had to build their instagram following just the way you're building yours they had to do you know what i mean like I think people think all I actually read this quote that like when you see someone's overnight success, it's actually like five years of work or something. Oh, I'm like, yeah, way it's more. true. Yeah, it's true. Uh, yeah. I'm like, it's never just overnight success. I saw that. It was it's like about uh like actors like, oh, like blah blah blah, like they're an overnight sensation. Meanwhile, they've been in like two hundred TV episodes and like a million <laughs> things and yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I give the caveat on like putting people on a pedestal. Like, I, I don't get like uh, you know starstruck or like in- intimidated by famous people in any way. But if I had Bill Murray on my podcast, I think I would I would not be able to handle myself. That's like one guy who I think would just be like the ultimate like fucking human being to to chat with for sure. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, there are still some people that I'm like, okay, yeah, I would obviously flip out if Oprah was like, <laughs> yeah, right. hey, I'm going to come on your podcast. I'd be like, oh, Oprah, uh, yeah. really? But yeah, like it's it's still, again, Oprah poops. Oprah has to yeah. go to the bathroom. So it's like, <laughs> she's a human. Yeah, I, I, I've got young nieces and nephews and I use the everybody poops metaphor a lot because, you know, it's, it's a very easy way to get someone off a pedestal. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. It's so easy. Um, my last question for you is, uh, give me a recommendation for everyone hearing you for the first time today of something that you've consumed lately. Um, could be a book you read, TV show, movie, podcast, some just something that you've recently consumed uh, that you want to recommend. Oh, this is a good one. I think the failure tolerance thing we talked about, it's an article. I'm pretty sure it's like in the Harvard Business Review. Um, it's a quick article just about failure tolerance. And I read it like three times because it was so eye opening. And it was basically like to hit success quicker, you need to fail uh, like faster, mm. something like that. And I, it really taught me the importance of like building your failure tolerance muscle. And that's really changed my perspective in the last few weeks. I like that. That's good. I'm going to read that and steal the seventh yeah. thing from uh, yeah. from this conversation. Um, Chelsea, thank you so much for, for coming on today. I had such an amazing time chatting with you. Um, again, cheesy as it sounds, welcome to the Wrong Advice Podcast family. I'm so happy to have you here. Um, look forward to definitely having a conversation with you again in the future and uh, have a great rest of your day. Thank you. This is incredible. Oh, Thanks so much. Take care.